hams? You absolutely can have another hams. This is Rachel. This is Spencer. And this is Neon Boots, the 90s country music podcast. (laughs) Today we have with us Scott Phillips, no relation to our previous guest, James Phillips. (laughs) You may know Scott from Goner and now Knower, who's been around Raleigh for quite a while, and the Monologue Bombs as well. Yeah, thanks for being here, Scott. Thanks for having me, yeah. I'm excited to have you on for many reasons. One, I know you think a lot about songwriting, so I know you'll go pretty deep on this song. But also, Scott doesn't has a different take on 90s country, I guess, than a lot of folks we've had on here. So do you want to talk a little about your context for knowing 90s country? Or? Uh, or, yeah, sure. I mean, or lack thereof, I guess. <laughs> uh, I mean, when I got the message from you about it, I, I had to think about my connection to 90s country and, and more just country in general. And it goes a little something like this. When I was in like sixth or seventh grade, I got obsessed with John Denver. And as a matter of fact, I did him as for the cover up a couple of years ago. Right. And that's where I first learned to sing. Now, purists would say, yeah, it's not really country, but he, he did chart in the country charts. And so some form of country was there from the beginning. Then the only other memory of country I have from like growing up at all, because I grew up in Fairview Park, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. Yeah. So the only other country, I mean, both my parents liked country. Uh, both my parents were big Willie Nelson fans specifically. And my dad was a big country music fan. And I remember in high school, we would go on vacation in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I got it in my head that country music is what you listen to on vacation. <laughs> so I would listen to this contemporary country station. It probably was out of St. Ignace or something like that. And and I would hear things like Country State of Mind by Hank II. Mm-hmm. And I think Merle Haggard had something charting there. And what I noticed about it is that it was gimmicky. Yeah. But in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a song called Domestic Life. I want to say by Joe Don Baker, but that might be an actor. Um, <laughs> but it was like, it was always just thematically clear. And as I would learn later, I mean, a lot of countries about having a very a set structure and being very economical with your writing. And so... Fast forward to the 90s, I moved to Raleigh. I moved here in 94. In between, I had become your classic alternative only. All I did was listen to The Cure and The Smiths and R.E.M. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to Raleigh, everything kind of opened up. I was out of college, and I swear to you, I'm not making this up, a huge part of my musical education was simply working at Lily's Pizza. The people I worked with at Lily's Pizza opened up all the doors. I learned about punk and metal and country, you know, like I'd never learned before. I heard Benji, who owned it, played this Buck Owens record all the time, and I started digging that, and they played that uh, that one Hank Williams comp, the 40 hits. It's great. God, it's good. And then, of course, the other thing that was happening here is, I mean, so 94, 95, the alt-country music is starting to to blow up around Mm -hmm. here. Whiskey Town, Six String Drag, Backsliders. On a national level, I started to get really into, I I mean, the Sunvolt's Trace, which came out in 95, and Steve Earle's I Feel All Right, Mm -hmm. which I think was around the same, maybe 96. And we talked about Steve Earle. You had said that Steve Earle, yeah, which uh, song... Feel all right. No, it was Phil. All right, yeah. Yeah. we did that with Thomas Strayhorn. Okay, yeah, that's such a good song. <laughs> that whole record is, and I, and I mean, I, you know, so ninety. I'm 23, 24 years old, and part of the appeal was 
I'm grown up now. I've done some living, so country <laughs> makes sense now, right? Twenty three, you've I learned living. Yeah. Yeah. learned all those life lessons. So. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you know, when uh, and it, obviously it's it's a bit of a joke, but I mean, it, it, I was just glad to have my horizons expanded a little bit and listen to stuff stuff mm-hmm. like that. But and with Steve Earle. I mean, between the three that I'm talking about, Steve Earle was really coming from a, a bit of a more traditional place because he got started in the 80s. Right. And so there was that uh, economy and that storytelling, you know, um, that he had going on. And so I appreciated the storytelling. This is also a time I'm starting to get into Springsteen, so the storytelling mm-hmm. starts happening. Now, this leads up to Richard Buckner. I'm open to hearing Richard Buckner at the time because it's, oh, it's this new country thing that's a big deal. And it got this super superlative write up somewhere probably spin or something and I remember getting the record and it just hit me at the right place and this is going to sound like a tangent and we were talking about tangents and how it's going to be great (laughs) about the same time that I started listening to Richard Buckner I also started listening to this band called The Promise Ring and this is going out oh yeah no we've talked about different eras of emo which I would consider Promise Ring emo so somehow it always seems to come back to it always comes back to emo whether we want to does it oh well I mean the thing a little bit better than talking about Under Oath I'll say that so (laughs) who's Under Oath what is that Uh, that's that's emo from like mine and Spencer all right, it's right. that, that yeah. next wave. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Is that like a some screamo breaking action. Benjamin? Not, not quite that bad, I wouldn't say. Although I only know the names because the yeah. names are so remembering. Right, right. You can right. remember them really easily, like a autumn across forever. Or you know, like October kills, you know, whatever. But the promise thing. I mean, I remember reading. There was a zine back then called Punk Planet. Mm-hmm. They would have reviews in the back, and I remember reading this one paragraph review of this album by this band called The Promise Ring, and it basically might as well have said, "Scott Phillips, you should go get this album." Because it was all about like he's just super emotional, you yeah. know, stuff. I get that record. This is also a time when I started to get or try to get more serious as a writer. Mm-hmm. The band I was in, The Boy Wonder Jinx, we had three writers in it, and I was trying. I don't know if we were being competitive necessarily, but I wanted to make sure that my four contributions to the next record were right. uh, as good as they could be. And so I was paying attention to lyrics more. And the thing that Davey Von Blown from Promise Ring and Richard Buckner both had in common was this almost non-linear, just throw out story and just pure evocative imagery. And I, I felt bad because when I was listening to uh, the podcast today, it was all about how country's all songwriting and, um, and it's all storytelling. Yeah. And I was like, well, there's, there's no there's no storytelling in Richard Butner. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's just evocative, emotional, right, right. you know, stuff. But, I mean, not to extrapolate too much, but to me, what Buckner and David Von Blowen and Psychedelic Furs, but I can get into that later, was basically all that was getting me ready to back into Bob Dylan, <laughs> which oh is gosh. not doesn't make any sense <laughs> at all. But other than that, and, and Dylan was this thing that I couldn't like. I just kept putting it off, like through my twenties, yeah. and then I just kept putting it off because I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And there was something about it. <laughs> I'm that was, still not ready. You're for not it. ready. No. Well, no. it was. It kept eluding me the same reasons, and it was just there was something about it. And then again, working at Lily's, this would have been like maybe two years later. I'm I'm jumping around, but someone put in the Roy Albert Hall concert, yeah, which really yeah. isn't there, and. It just floored me. All of a sudden, it, something clicked, and I was like, it's it's about attitude, and it's about... And then I went and got some. Actually, I got time out of mind. Right. And um, 
all of a sudden I got it. I was like, this is where Buckner and Psychedelic Furs and David Wilmot come from. This nonlinear, just strictly yeah. evocative, doesn't have to make sense, doesn't have to follow logic, but it, it can connect the listener because you attach your own shit onto it, to be super technical. Yeah. And I think that that's maybe... So we have not formally introduced it yet. <laughs> no, we haven't talked about the song yet. <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask which promise ring. I assume the debut. Uh, it was, Third Degrees Ever, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the song, back, yeah. back to what? <laughs> back to country. <laughs> well, so, so that's what I, I listened to the song and did not love it. And I think now that you've said all of this about the lyrics and stuff, it makes a little bit more sense because I usually enjoy ones that have a story yeah. to it. And even like the ones that are just like stream of conscious or very emotional, I can get into that if there is still a story like right, right. backing it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the song is... The song is Lil' Wallet Picture from Devotion and Doubt, track two of 1997. Major label debut. Yes. And when you first threw out Richard Buckner, I was like, ooh. I honestly thought Rachel was going to shoot down. Rachel the rule follower. You've gotten yeah, yeah. soft in your motherhood I over listened here. to the song, like, and like you said, like it's a country song. Right, so my... I never... I don't think remember listening to either of those first couple of Richard Buckner records. I think most of my familiarity with him at the time was through like file sharing stuff, so just random songs. And then Ariel Ramirez was on that Volkswagen that commercial in the early 2000s. So that I also would be like, oh, that's a country song. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you said that, I was like, oh, Richard Buckner. I was like, not thinking that it was going to fit. And obviously it's not 90s pop country, but. It's got, like, more steel guitar per minute than, like, any other song we've talked about. You know, it's, like, tons of steel guitar and mandolin and all this stuff. So, definitely sounds country, more of a alt-country direction, but... Sure, sure. Well, and we've stretched it the other way, where we've had country artists that have done songs that are not very country. Yeah. But I think that this is our first one, except maybe Steve Earle, but he's definitely more country yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But this is the first one where it's not somebody who's necessarily a country musician, but their song. Yeah. Are you forgetting we literally did Sting? Oh, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> what sauce? I'm, I'm so I'm, happy I can't stop crying. I'm trying to I block that. Well, that episode and that song from my brain for the rest of my life. Good luck. It's not going to happen. It's I impossible. I mean, <laughs> I'll go listen to it. But I mean, Well, you need to watch the quickly, video. Is it country? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did he do a whole album of country? No, no. no. Okay. no. Thought that it, I thought that it might be. I was And then hopeful. I listened to the whole album, and I was like, this is bullshit. I think I would have been more into it if it was a whole, like, right. country experiment. I'm going to go ahead and do this. Right, right, right. But no, it was just... No, he had an alien playing pedal still on that, though, so, you know. Yeah. Are Again. you guys going to do a Chris Gaines one? Uh, it's going to happen at some point, okay. I'm sure. I'm, I, I'm waiting for someone that's that invested in Chris Gaines. Oh, I will tune into that one. And I also <laughs> think that's going to require some legwork on our side of researching how and why that all happened. Because I was growing up at the time with no internet, obviously, and I was like, what the fuck? Is yeah. I was, like, <laughs> I was <laughs> just looking it up. I was really hoping that the Chris Gaines situation happened in 2000, which would put it out of the oh, realm of us, but nope. it happened in 1999. Oh, yep, yep, so just in time. It's, God. If you're listening, they haven't done Chris Gaines yet. <laughs> this is your shot. Damn. 
<laughs> so <laughs> there are some 90s country tie-ins. I guess we can go ahead and talk about this stuff. Sure. Or think about it. Um, so the producer, J.D. Foster, he played bass with Dwight Yoakam for a while in the 80s, I believe. Played bass also, actually, with Alejandro Escovedo and True Believers and has some other connections like that. Howie Gale played on the record from Giant Sand, which is what mm-hmm. Joey Burns and John Convertino, I think is how you say his name, were in. Also, at the time, they're now in Clexico, so... Mm-hmm. They've done a lot. Mark Rebo played session guitar for tons of people. So, like, really good cast on here. Rich Brotherton played guitar for Robert Earl Keane. Champ Hood, who played with a bunch of guys. Ray Wiley Hubbard, Jimmy Doe, Gilmore, Blaze Foley, and also was in a band with David Ball of Thinking Problem fame. So, nice country connection there. But the best (laughs) one is Lloyd Maines, who actually produced the first Buckner album just played on this and played pills too actually but Lloyd Maines you may recognize his name because he's Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks father is he known as a pedal steel player or is he just a multi instrumentalist I'm pretty sure he's a multi-instrumentalist okay. but that might be his focus I'm not yeah. entirely well, sure his work on this song is phenomenal mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 it's great but without he, him we wouldn't have counted this yeah, as I, a country I, song I wouldn't well, blame you yeah, without yeah. him we might not even know the Dixie Chicks because he was producing a record with a band called the Groobies, a terrible 90s band name. And they had Wide Open Spaces, one of the members wrote that song. Oh, yeah. And he was producing it, and it was like, oh, hey, I think this might work for my daughter's band. Yeah. Because she had just kind of jumped on board as a lead singer at that point, and then... Thank that, God. That happened. Thanks, so, Dad. You know, nice, nice just, we got to tie it in a nice country somehow. <laughs> the, the nice country we... We know we, we, we know, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I should say that the only other 90s country thing that came up for me was a part of the Lily's education. Somebody did bring in, this time, the Dwight Yoakam record. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. 90s, yeah. Right, yeah. And, uh, and we've talked about a couple of songs. That's that good stuff. And I, I revisited it when he played Hopscotch a few years ago. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And, I mean, you can't beat it. He's a consummate entertainer. And I, I, I watched his set and enjoyed it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great 90s country record. Mm-hmm. But I guess we should talk about the song itself. You yeah. said... You could talk about this for hours when we were messaging. <laughs> we don't we, have that much time. Yeah, we, we got to go to Casey time. Musgraves later tonight, but yeah. we can leave this running. You can yeah, cut off. Yeah, you guys off. go. Just uh, yeah, you, the door behind you me. Can, you can monologue this, and we'll be good. <laughs> like, Richard, are you listening? Um, this is yeah. the hell for. That's right. I mean, it just came at the right time when I was starting to try to be more serious as a writer, and the way he and I guess the promise ring kind of blew open the doors of like it doesn't have to be sequential it doesn't have to be logical it doesn't have to have a story it had an effect on my writing I mean we haven't even talked about his voice which is phenomenal to me the range of it my brother Dan was also a fan at the time and he was living in Raleigh and he kept saying that you know he's what he does with his voice in country is comparable to what like someone like R. Kelly would have been doing (laughs) like Mm -hmm. the kind of acrobatic wide range so the the voice is phenomenal the instrumentation is great but to me it's always about it always comes back to those lyrics mm-hmm. you know underspent and too young too I stumbled onto a picture of you you wild bitter tale all cherry oak and tears yeah I mean and I was thinking about it because I've listened to the song a few times in the last 24 hours and I was thinking about it it's like you know when it's just images like that you could listen to the song and be the one who cheated the one who got cheated on, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it could be a missed connection. I mean, it could be right, anything. Right, right. And it just, 
it ties right in and it's just it's so emotionally resonant I mean that whole record's like that this is the record that he produced after he and his wife got divorced I'm pretty sure that both the first two records are about the divorce the first one is even more raw I guess in a certain way but even that I mean that I went back and got the first record I mean it's it's the same thing it's even if anything it's even more tied to country and he's California right isn't he from California I don't think he's from I don't think he's Southern. I think he's from like definitely not Southern. Northern California. Yeah, he's California. The other thing about it, this song, the lyrics. I mean, and this is more of a personal thing. Is like when he says, "Hand me that little wallet picture from 1985 one more mm-hmm. time." Again, I'm however 23, 24, and it's like the first time that somebody mentions a year that I was alive mm-hmm. and had some memory of mm-hmm. that could be vaguely construed as romantic. <laughs> and so it's sort of like this first time, like, oh yeah, 1985. We're allowed to be nostalgic about 1985 now. Yeah, Let's yeah. go. You know? And I was just, it was, uh, that kind of opened it up too. Again, there's no story, so I, f- I feel kind of bad about not being able to. But I mean, it is. He, he had a, a tough time getting over mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> two, hey, two albums. Worth I was going to say sure. two great albums. So two great that's albums. worth it, I guess. <laughs> worth it. Yeah, I think so. And um, and he kept going. And like as as you hinted at, he pulls pretty far away from country mm-hmm. as as it goes on. By the time he gets to the stuff where he's on merge, there's a kind of cheapo drum machine stuff mm-hmm. and uh, there's and that's most of yeah. the stuff that I listened to mm-hmm. of his before so I was a little confused whenever you first pitched him <laughs> but I did I went and listened to the song and I allowed it but yeah. thank you it, thank it you. did throw me off for a second and I did see him live several times back then I remember there was a venue in Chapel Hill called the Lizard and Snake that I went to I think that was the first time I saw him and it was like this tiny place and usually rock stuff and just everybody sitting on the floor yeah. and just almost a church-like reverence because yeah. I mean he brings the heartache you know just hardcore right. there's also kind of the uh I mean this might be more getting into Raleigh folklore <laughs> but the uh there was a show he played at Berkeley yeah this would have been probably 98 I guess I had worked at Double at Lily's, and I'd ridden my bike downtown to Berkeley, and I was like, this is going to be the greatest thing, and I go in, and again, there's people sitting on the floor, but there's also people sitting in chairs, and the thing about Buckner is he was a bit of a diva about having a quiet audience, Mm -hmm. and... I mean, I saw his point. His music doesn't really make sense if there's, like, clanking and stuff going on, but this night really pushed him over the edge because it... Sonny Bono had died recently. Oh yeah. Do you remember? Do you did you hear the story from the? No, well, but I remember when Sonny Bono died. Well, okay. <laughs> I actually was hoping this was the direction the story is going because I know did, this one. You heard I, this one. I did a story when the original Berkeley closed mm-hmm. or the music room closed for the indie, and it was like oral history, and uh, I just had to look up Greg Moserjack from I think now Gallo Dressing told this story to me, and I was like, this has got to be the same. Yeah, one. yeah. So it's the same I'll, I'll let you. The owner goes through mid-song and he's like moving chairs or something and he just says out loud loud enough for most of the people to hear it goes god i miss sonny bono (laughs) and buckner is just he leaves the stage he says i i gotta go whatever and he he leaves and jay winfrey gets up what i don't know the name of the owner but jay winfrey gets up if anybody knows jay gets in the guy's face and was like whatever i'm just sitting there i just i just stink of lilies and i'm just i'm exhausted but i'm just like "Eh, i'm barely keeping up with it Ryan Adams is somewhere in the corner with like of a course. bunch of sequins on. You know? <laughs> and, um, that was a, there was a funny interview with Buckner a couple of years later where when Ryan broke and he was like, 
someone has the interviewer says I'm like so blah, blah, country blah 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 something about Ryan Adams he goes oh, <clears throat> well you mean the greatest living songwriter <laughs> like just sarcastically <laughs> um, which I mean whatever I was um, hoping Ryan Adams would be somewhere in this story uh, he, it's not I mean, good Raleigh folklore unless it is that's, that's right um, yeah finally Buckner comes back on and he goes are we alright he goes do we have all the rednecks out of the room or something like that? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> then he funny. sits down and does the rest of the set. And it's, of course, it's, it's beautiful. And then I, I, I saw him again just a year and a half ago out at the Shed in Durham. And it, mm-hmm. was, it was a very sympathetic crowd and, and uh, intimate. Well, do you want to listen to the song? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Underspent And too young to I stumbled onto a, a picture of you You wild, bitter tale All cherry oak and tears As the branches look in Spencer wants me to talk about why I don't like this song, <laughs> which I already mentioned earlier that it's difficult for me to like connect with because I prefer songs that have story. It's just also like too sad. Yeah. Too sad and depressing. I will say I have not listened to a ton of his stuff. His voice in this song reminded me a little bit of Joe Pug. Have you ever listened to oh, his no, stuff? I it just the tone of his voice and the range that he sings in reminds me a lot of some of Joe's stuff. P U G. P U G. Like the dog. Like the dog. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know. And he's not a country musician by any means, but he's definitely like singer songwriter. Writes a few songs that will just rip your heart out. Mm-hmm. I've cried to a few Joe Pug oh, songs wow. before. Not ashamed to admit it. Yeah. I'm too busy laughing at your text. What you said. <laughs> What text? Oh. You're, you're backpedaling a lot from, this was the quote earlier today. I'm not saying you still believe it, but... I do, uh, but go ahead. Also, Richard Bugner is trash. This depressing ass shit. <laughs> That's exactly kind of, what I yeah, just said. I don't know if you called him trash, but... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll stand by that. It's so, just depressing. It's too depressing. I, I have been in a good mood the last few days, and this brought me down. So, I yes, did see yeah. on the Wikipedia for this... Robert Criscow, who's like a famous rock critic who seems to be one of those critics who loves to just be an criticize. Yeah. Bit of a crank. It qualified this as a mixed review. I don't think it's very mixed, but he says, Buckner has just the sense of baritone to make awful seem awful romantic to sad sex and the women who love them. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it's a pretty bad it's bird, bad but bad also bad. kind of like a little bit of a... Well, at least those people like it. <laughs> I... This is a sad bastard to like this. This is what this is. You should have just called it sad bastard. And I definitely music. have it, a soft spot for sad sack. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sad bastard music. Yeah, yeah. it's he's top shelf sad, sad bastard. Oh, you gotta go top shelf there if you wanna go sad sack. So might as well go. That's that's just not my preferred genre. Yeah. I mean, not that you will explore this, but the rest of the album doesn't get any better. Right. At all. I mean, it's, it's all. I listened to a couple all. of songs, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I was like, I can't, I cannot listen to this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna have to drink myself to <laughs> sleep or something. You can delete this out of this if you want to, but when can't I can't wait just, to see where this goes. <laughs> when I just said the word genre, it reminded me of this video that I've seen, I've and seen it's it too. Um, Alex Trebek is just like a series of all the times that he says and I wish that I was classy enough to yeah. say it the way that he does it's like 
Genre. 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 It's that Canadian-ness. He completely <laughs> removes the N from it. This is genre. Genre. <laughs> this genre. Genre. Yeah, it's, it, it's a stronger genre when he has the mustache or not. You can totally tell. Yeah, yeah. You can hear, you can hear the You stash. can hear the mustache. Yeah. Well, speaking of genres and mustaches, you were talking about incorporating country music in your in, in your <laughs> well, writing at points. Sure, yes, and I mean, and trying to kind of learn from the economy and, and and sometimes the storytelling of it. So I wasn't the only guy in the band at the time, Boy Wonder Jinx, listening to country, and so we we did try to incorporate. It. I think my, my brother tried more forcefully than I did. We had a song called Hillsborough and Wade that was had a very classic country structure. Uh, he also did a song called Ninety Nine Cent Shirt uh, that he co-wrote with Greg that was uh, very uh, kind of more towards the alt country ends of things. As for my own stuff, you know, coming from Ohio like I do, and as a as a, a kind of an omnivorous uh, <laughs> music fan, I don't have a problem with taking from country as a writer. But there is a, a certain sense of like I, I want to be careful because I don't know how genuine it's going to sound coming from me if I wrote like Boot Scoot and Boogie or something. I don't think anybody <laughs> would, would buy it. But um, you can't help. I mean, I've, I've been down here 25 years now, and so a lot of Raleigh has not stopped having a strong root music scene mm-hmm. right. is still vital and, and vibrant and and I go see all of it you know from I mean and so it, it rubs off and so the back half of this next record I do have half a mind to, to make it as rootsy as I'm comfortable mm-hmm. making it if it provides you any reassurances we've talked Please. about this a little bit <laughs> on previous episodes of how country is not necessarily the south that it's more of kind of I don't want to say a state of mind because that sounds a little bit too cheesy, but like we talk about yeah, that Shania, sounds like an print or right? something like that. <laughs> Country is a state of mind. We should print T-shirts that say that. Nope. There you go. But like don't you, buy those. <laughs> you think about like Shania Twain, who's from Canada. That's not South at all. But right. like it, it's more about like being rural and like a roots type thing, being connected to the almost like folk and history of the space that you mm-hmm. are in. Yes. So I don't think that I would be offended by a man from Ohio (laughs) writing country songs. I would be offended by a man from Ohio trying to sell me, like, cornbread and collard greens. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I would take offense to that. (laughs) But for music, it's a bit more acceptable. Fair enough, fair enough. And I mean, it's the storytelling aspect of country has made its way. As a matter of fact... Prior to this new record, a lot of my stuff was character-based and had story mm-hmm. stuff. And I, asked, I, I intend to still write it like that going forward. But, you know, I, the the song I did with James Phillips, The Nightingale Routine, very much a story song and a cheating song, actually. I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's country, but it is. it, it has a roots. Well, you dropped it. the G when you said cheating, so that makes it a country I song. I had, well, I, I'm <laughs> super conscious of that, <laughs> obviously. Uh, it's a cheating song. Uh, this here, you know, and as far as the new record goes, there is some of that storytelling element is creeping its way back in. There's a lot of family songs. Uh, listening to BJ's episode, he talks about like, well, you know, people who are critical of country would be like, why are they singing? Why is he singing about his dad all the time? Like, well, that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a couple of the songs are about, you know, my relationship with my dad on this new one. But the back half being about moving to Raleigh and having more rootsy instrumentation there's some story to it but I mean I don't want to talk about my new record the whole time well that's what I was about to let you just jump right into it might as well so 
early October, right? So the plan to start. Yes, on? I start recording on the second. Okay, mm-hmm. and there's a Indiegogo right now for this. It will be going on for a little bit after this episode uh, gets released. And got a lot of folks lined up. Looks like that we know friends with have had on all that. So. Drop some names. Oh, who's going to be on it? Yeah. Sure. Well, the idea behind how I wanted to make this record was just came from feeling lucky to know so many musicians Mm -hmm. and thinking, well, if I'm going to do a solo record, which, by the way, The Monologue Bombs is my solo moniker. Right. So I just started asking. And it's mostly people I've met through putting that John Denver band together or people who were in the very short-lived Monologue Bombs full band thing about 10 years ago or just people I've played shows with. So uh, uh, Kate Rudy's coming to sing a song. That's our episode plug. We plug her every time. (laughs) The elusive Kate Rudy. Trying idea. to get her on. Oh, so you want to so, get her on? Yeah, we, yeah. we name drop her every Kate, time. Kate, do the Chris Yeah, we're waiting, so we're waiting for our millions of <laughs> listeners. Double well, no, shot. She's, a, she's already picked a song, but oh, uh, oh, okay. maybe maybe we can do Chris Gaines, too, with her. Just, yeah, just, you know. <laughs> Sorry yeah, to interrupt. Chris Gaines. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I, gosh, I got Reed Johnson from Schooner is going to sing. We know Skylar and Reese or two that we've done episodes mm-hmm. with. Okay, yeah, Skylar's playing flute on the track. Reese is going to sing back up on a song called Fit to Burn. So, like, we as a podcast need to sponsor this right (laughs) that's right (laughs) because reed has also promised to be on an episode as well so reese has reed Mm -hmm. reed reed reese has already been on an episode do the chris Gaines episode (laughs) (laughs) come on you know you want to do it uh and uh nathan gold is going to play pedal steel on a track i got uh Hank and Robert from Hank Petty and The Current are mm-hmm. going to play some banjo and mandolin on a couple of tracks. My brother's going to sing harmony on a song. Literally like 25 different people on mm-hmm. the personnel because I'm also doing, this is why I needed to do an Indiegogo, I guess, because mm-hmm. my idea was the first half takes place in Ohio. And so that's the part I'm doing with Matt Douglas and recording it mostly uh, in a couple of weeks. And then the back half takes place when moving to Raleigh and kind of like a late period coming of age stuff. And that one I'm doing out in Graham with uh, Greg Elkins and Ryan Johnson. And then when I started just thinking about who can who can add some spice, I just started emailing people and and it just kind of ballooned from there. And that's why I got such a large personnel on it. Nice. But, uh, it's you know to me that's part of the reason I love this musical community. You mm-hmm. know, it's like people are so willing to to collaborate. And I always I always use the analogy of just getting in the sandbox. Let's get yeah. in the sandbox and have some fun. See what. Uh, you know, we're making a stew. Yeah, put you know what what's uh, what what spice are you bringing? You know, and all this kind of stuff. And because I've done it on uh, other people's records too. And to me, it's like if you're at the level of obs- relative obscurity that I'm at, that's the payoff. Is you get to get in the sandbox with other people and, and have some fun and uh, have stories to tell and and you know and, and hopefully you have a, a, a good quality record out of it too. Yeah, well, I'm excited <laughs> to hear it. It's Spring, summer next year, right? Yes, spring or summer of next year. Cool. And if you get in on the Indiegogo, which we'll post a link, but I'm sure you can also just Google Indiegogo and monologue bombs will come up. You can also pay Scott and his brother to do a podcast of <laughs> your choosing. So you can pay them to do the Chris Gaines episode. Then you want to listen to us do it. Yeah. That's the, there you like go. you were whispering for other people to do it, and you just forgot to plug your own. That would be nice. Offer. So maybe we'll just take a week off and just be like, all right, and our guest here. Yeah. <laughs> just let <laughs> you guys take awesome. over. You could just, yeah, have a whole episode to a yourself. Crossover. Yeah. yeah. 
You guys can just sit over there and have beers and we'll talk about Chris Gaines. That sounds wonderful. Oh my gosh. We'll just snicker and get drunk in the background. So moderately different from what we usually what, yeah. Usually we're snickering and drinking in the foreground. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. And uh, we'll contribute to your Indiegogo since like half of our guests have, are going to be uh, special appearances on the album. And y'all Thank should you. go give some money too. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is the pledge drive now. Yeah. The pledge drive episode. Uh huh. Okay. I can do my Jerry Lewis for you. <laughs> that comes up as a recurring theme on Designing Women, which I've been watching a lot lately. The Labor Day Telethon? No, just Jerry Lewis. Just Jerry Lewis. In general. Mm-hmm. He inadvertently came up with one of my favorite and unused band names of all time because one, one year, it was probably the last year I ever watched any of that telethon. And he comes on and you know, he's always, I mean, he was always so, you know, he doesn't sleep for like 48 hours. Right. He does think. And he comes out and he goes, listen, I want to thank all these people for making this Labor Day love machine happen. And I was like, that's a band <laughs> that's name. That's a band name. That's a band name if I ever heard one. <laughs> all right. So uh, next week we'll have Labor Day love machine on. Uh, thanks for listening, y'all. Have a, a good one. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye, Spencer's mom. Ha, 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 ha.